When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 150. And as I say that, I think, man, we probably should have, like, did something for episode 150, like have a giveaway or something like a social media thing but Woo. it's a good ep- it's a it's a good uh episode a good conversation today because we're sitting down with chris fernandi episode title how modern javascript is is ruining the web with chris fernandi i hopefully i'm saying that name correctly now i'm matt i've already spoken a bunch that's mike who did the little woo there and this week we'll be talking to chris about his views on the modern web a little bit of js stuff in there and whatnot now, if this sounds interesting to you, because it should, and because it's episode 150 and our entire celebration was going, woo, you can <laughs> you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And before we cut to the call here, Chris helps people learn VanillaJS through his daily blog posts and courses. He runs LearnVanillaJS.com, where you can find all the resources you need to make yourself into a better, more efficient web developer. We talked to him about modern JavaScript trends, his views and techniques for accessibility, as well as what's wrong with the web today. It was a great back and forth, a great conversation, and we're going to cut to that call right now and hope that you enjoy it as much as we did. All right, everyone, we have Chris on the line here. So, Chris, what's going on? What's up? How's your COVID life doing? What's uh, what's going on over there? Yeah, hello. Um, I'm I'm just glad it's summer and I can get out of the house a little bit more, or almost summer, summer adjacent. Um, it's <laughs> been it a long year. Summer? I swear. <laughs> Isn't it summer, June 15th? Is that the official start? Yeah, no, it, it feels like summer. Yeah. Um, the weather's <laughs> actually nice now, which is great. Um, I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a long year, um, as I'm sure it has for a lot of folks listening. But um, yeah, an interesting one. Yeah, it's been it's been quite a year, that's for sure for us. Uh, and I'm glad to have you on the podcast, Chris. I know like, a couple couple years ago we were trying to we were kind of having a back and forth, and you know stuff happens. Uh, and we both got kind of busy, but I'm glad to have you finally on because we have a lot to talk about. And, you know, we've been talking a lot on this podcast recently about different frameworks like Vue and a little bit about React and Tailwind and all the different, you know, technologies out there, like technology overload. And I think today we're going to kind of bring it back a little, bring it back to the vanilla JavaScript side. Cause I know, Chris, you focus a lot on the vanilla JavaScript and you have, uh, you have some really good points about why you should focus on vanilla JavaScript. And I've actually read like a lot of your blog posts and I keep, I try to keep up with what, what you post because I do try to keep my vanilla JavaScript knowledge up to date as much as possible because I understand that it's a really important base to have. And in fact, on the podcast, usually our recommendation for everyone is to kind of make sure that you have the three pillars, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript in that order uh, before they move on to anything else, if they move on to anything else. So Thanks for coming on. So let's just get started right in with these questions. Um, 
the, 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 you know, the title of this episode is how modern JavaScript is ruining the web. So I kind of want to give you the floor to define what the modern web is today. Yeah. Um, thank you. And it's really funny too, right? Like you mentioned, we had kind of tried to make this connection a couple of years ago and then, you know, we all got busy and it was just, like, I, I had a whole bunch of stuff that I could have talked about two years ago and it is in many ways, largely unchanged now from a couple of years ago. Like if anything, the, the issues I would have brought up have gotten more acute. Um, uh, and in many ways, the pandemic kind of underscored um, kind of how, how bad some of this stuff is. So um, uh, when I think about the modern web now and like what the modern, it's almost like you can almost break it into two kind of buckets. There's the modern web and then the modern web development experience. And for both of them, um, from my perspective, it's all about JavaScript. Um, I think we've seen the use of JavaScript um, just explode so much in the last few years in terms of um, both kind of the tooling we use to build things and then what's getting delivered um, into the browser for people who are actually using the things we build. Um, so, you know, we're now seeing the entirety of the HTML on websites being built out with JavaScript. Um, any APIs or kind of like data that's needed from, from other sources that's happening in the client instead of on the browser. And because JavaScript is the only scripting language um, of the web, you're seeing that happen there. Um, I think we're also starting to see, you know, just from a developer tools perspective, um, you're seeing uh, um, like a, there's maybe a little bit of a push back towards doing some more stuff like either on the server or pre-rendered, but all of that tooling is being built around JavaScript as well. Um, and so it's, it's really funny, um, you know, even if, uh, you know, the HTML and CSS are not, um, you know, being rendered in the browser with JavaScript, they're being done um, that way kind of in the developer's kind of workflow, um, you know, pre-rendered. It's just JavaScript, all the things. Um, and that's not inherently a bad thing, um, but it can be in a lot of instances. And so, um, you know, that's kind of what I'm here to talk about today um, is that like JavaScript isn't inherently in bad, but I, I think a lot of the ways we're using it are. Um, I think it often leads to a worse experience for both the people who are using the things we make and us as people who have to build those things. Um, I think it's problematic for a whole bunch of reasons, which is a weird thing to say when your kind of whole career is built around teaching people JavaScript, but like, I really want us to start using less of it. Um, <laughs> so if you skip the rest of this podcast, that's my call to action, use less JavaScript. Um, and we can dive into all the details. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I get it. Like there's so many times uh, Matt and I have kind of had guests on the podcast and talked to other people where like a lot of the times they'll, you know, they'll put up a landing page and that landing page will be built with like, you know, three different frameworks in mind. And it's just one page with a bunch of static elements and it'll be completely rendered on the client side in JavaScript. And on, on the one hand, like I get it, like if, if it's supposed to be a base for a really large project, maybe I kind of get it. But on the other hand, like, is that overkill? Like, why are you doing this massive, this massive stack where you have to like, you know, compile everything a million times just to get, you know, a few blocks of content 
on the screen. So I'm just wondering what your take is on like using too much tech to do really simple things. Yeah, I um, it happens all the time. Um, it's um, it's almost a little bit like a if you're a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Um, kind of going on. Um, and so um, I guess another analogy would be no one ever got fired for using IBM or for hiring IBM. It's like a similar kind of thing. So um, I feel like this has happened for a few reasons. Um, so, you know, F Facebook made React and it really took off. And I feel like there's a fair bit of um, if it's good enough for Facebook, it's good enough for me kind of going on. Um, and so, and to be fair, Facebook spent a lot of kind of time and money marketing and pushing React and, and helping it grow. Um, and uh, so what you have now is, you know, React seems like the tool to use and it shows up in so many job descriptions, which kind of further fuels this cycle where newer developers feel like if they want to break into the industry, they need to learn React because that's what the hiring like managers are asking for. And a lot of companies are asking for React because it's either the buzzword they're familiar with because they heard it at a conference or it's what a developer on their team told them that they should be looking for. Or they feel like by talking about like the new hot tech, they're going to get like, you know, the up and coming developers. There's a whole bunch of reasons why this happens. But then once you get people who are invested in an ecosystem and they spend a lot of time learning how to use it and they get comfortable with the tooling, it just becomes the thing you grab for all the things you build. Like honestly, for similar reasons, I tend to reach for either Hugo, the static site generator or PHP for 99% of what I build. Um, the reason I do that is because those are the kind of the tech stacks I know and I'm most comfortable with. And when I'm building something, it's a quick and easy go-to. So I, like, I get it. Um, uh, I think that's largely why why it happens. Um, but as you kind of already mentioned, a good portion of the time, the tool is just way overkill for the thing you're building. Um, I, I'd say a majority of the projects that are built with React don't need React, don't meaningfully benefit from React, would probably be better served by a different tool. Even if that different tool honestly was Preact, which uses the same exact API and has very similar kind of conventions and is built to mimic React, but is a fraction of the size and more performant, like in terms of actual runtime as well. Um, uh, it just, yeah, it, it seems like we are, as an industry, kind of obsessed with, um, you know, I know this tool and I'm going to use it for everything, which I, I get, but creates a lot of problems for our users. All this JavaScript is very kind of costly for, for end users. Yeah, and like you mentioned Preact there and stuff like that. So it is are all frameworks, do you think, are kind of like on the same level or is there a difference? So you, you mentioned Preact because it's smaller. There's stuff like Svelte and Vue. Is there a ranking set? Like should you use one over the other for the most part or is it literally like, you use the tool that the, the, the lowest common denominator tool. I know we had a guest on the podcast recently where it's like, if you can do it in HTML and only HTML, do it in HTML. Not that that's a thing that can happen for the most part, but, and then if you can do it only in CSS, do it only in CSS. And then if you can do it, like if you need JavaScript then use JavaScript. So is that the same kind of mentality for frameworks? Yeah. So I conceptually agree with 
with that, actually. Um, I think where it falls apart a little bit is um, there's, there's almost nothing that you couldn't build with just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Um, but um, the argument for frameworks has always been, well, I guess there's two arguments. For a while, people were arguing performance. And I still see this today where people get really confused about what the virtual DOM is and start to argue that like the DOM is bad, you need a virtual DOM because like the real DOM is so poorly performant that like sites are gonna be terrible if you like use old school <laughs> vanilla JavaScript. And it's like, yeah, but like that's ultimately what happens with these frameworks too. They just kind of abstract some stuff in the middle. Um, but um, the bigger argument I think you see now around using frameworks is around developer ergonomics or like ease of experience for developers. And, um, you know, kind of forcing conventions on a team. And um, so it's kind of a long-winded way of getting at your actual question. But um, the for me, I, I think there's a multitude of factors here. And I don't think it's always just pick the smallest tool for the job. Like in a perfect world, yes, absolutely. But um, in reality, um, if you are going with a... Um, you know, like, uh, like if you need to use a framework, um, technically speaking, uh, React is smaller than Svelte. Like if you're just looking at raw, you know, kind of like size, but um, Svelte might actually be a better choice for your end users because the amount of actual like shipped and compiled JavaScript after you build the thing with it ends up being smaller because Svelte is a like a, pre-compiler that takes all of the abstracted stuff and converts it into just vanilla JavaScript. And that's what ultimately gets shipped. Whereas Preact ships with that abstraction in the middle. Um, the flip side is that um, while Svelte is growing, um, it doesn't have a lot of kind of batteries included stuff the way like Preact or React might. And there's a lot of things I don't like about the bigger frameworks like React, but one thing they have done really well over the last year is invest a lot of, um, a lot of effort into accessibility. And so um, uh, every year for the last three years, uh, the accessibility organization WebAIM has run a survey of the top million sites on the web and kind of done an accessibility audit on them, um, automated. So they miss a bunch of stuff and they false flag some stuff, but it's pretty good. Um, and historically, what they found is sites that use JavaScript frameworks have more accessibility issues than sites that don't. But last year, or this year rather, for the first time ever, um, React actually dramatically shifted their numbers so that sites that used React had lower uh, instances of accessibility issues than sites that didn't use it or that didn't use a, a framework at all. And I think a big part of that is their component architecture, all these like, hey, just grab this and use this, um, I think historically has been a big driver of bad accessibility with these tools um, because they kind of fuel this idea of just, just grab this thing and use it. You don't have to think about it. And a lot of times these tools have been built by people who don't know good practices around accessibility or performance. And I think they've invested a lot in that over the last year or so. And so you've seen kind of the shift where now these tools can actually help improve accessibility on the web. Um, so uh, kind of a long-winded way of saying, I think there's a lot of different factors and considerations uh, that kind of come into play here. Um, and if you have kind of strong in-house accessibility um, kind of capabilities, 
then I think pick the smallest tools you can uh, kind of, uh, I have a bias towards rendering things ahead of time or on the server. That's often going to be more performant than handling that in the client. Um, but if you're like a small kind of shop and you don't have a lot of in-house capability and you need something that's going to work and is going to work well, there are potentially arguments for using some of these bigger tools. Um, and there's a bit of a balance there because you also need to weigh kind of the big performance hit that doing all the things in JavaScript can can put on on your users. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know about the React accessibility change. I always thought, like 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 you said before, that any of these larger frameworks, it's going to be worse for accessibility. Um, yes, and it it, all, it historically always has been. It's just like I think a month or two ago, the the newer report came out and. It was the one thing that really jumped out at me. It was like a really shocking kind of swing, um, yeah. which is and good. It's great to see. Like I'm, I'm happy about that, given how prevalent React is on the web. Um, uh, as much as I wish it, it weren't. It's really good to see that um, you know the uh, the accessibility stuff is is kind of moving in the right direction. And off of the oh, yeah. off of the uh, sorry, Mike, but off of the accessibility note, you know, um, I kind of have a question about. So you're saying that like you know maybe you should use JavaScript less, but would you say that maybe using JavaScript, more specifically using JavaScript frameworks, is actually kind of the web slash browsers maybe even changing? Because the thing is, is, yeah, you have all these problems, you know, hey, you know, these frameworks are less accessible, for example. But now it's like, hey, if React updates their stuff, and then these developers want to keep updating the sites they're working on, you know, React has a massive impact instead of you, like, for example, if you do not know how to make your site accessible with vanilla JavaScript, nothing's there to help you. But you can have more accessibility put into a site with uh, like a React update, for example. Like, isn't that sort of like a paradigm shift where maybe and like argue against this, obviously, but like, is it maybe like that, th like React is and other ones, other uh, frameworks, if they start improving, hey, we got an accessibility problem, fix that. Hey, we got a performance problem, fix that. And now you're not just fixing two sites or one site or teaching people individual skills, you're fixing 100,000 sites or whatever. Yeah, um, I think that's all fair. Um, for me, there are a few different kind of angles on this that I'd like to unpack. Um, but if I were to make an, if I could make an analogy for a second, um, a lot of people think that I hate jQuery because I'm the vanilla JS guy. Um, but I, I absolutely love jQuery, even though I don't use it. And the big, the big reason I love jQuery is twofold. First, they have fantastic documentation and they made learning JavaScript really easy for me when I felt like a complete fraud that had no business being in this industry. Um, but the other reason, the bigger reason I love jQuery is it arrived at a time when JavaScript on the web was a hot mess and trying to do anything consistently across browsers was absolutely horrific. And jQuery paved these cow paths. They were like, hey, here's an easier way. Here are some really like clear, well-named, simple methods that do a lot of the things that people are trying to do across browsers. And so many of the modern JavaScript APIs and, and methods that I love today, you can trace their kind of their behavior, the way they work, even their naming conventions directly back to things that jQuery did a decade or so ago, um, you know, before any of this stuff was standardized in the browser. And I would love to see, um, oh, and 
to kind of close that off, I don't think jQuery really needs to exist anymore today. Um, I know a lot of sites still use it. I know a lot of developers still still like it, but I think it is it has been made obsolete by the platform. And I think that's a great thing. And I would love to see frameworks like React and Vue follow a similar fate where um, right now they are kind of pushing the boundaries of what browsers can do by building some tooling on top of it and um, kind of creating some cow paths, so to speak. Um, and I would love if a decade from now, um, a lot of the stuff that they do, what these frameworks do was just baked into the browsers the way that a lot of the stuff that jQuery used to handle that used to be really hard um, is now super easy to do with, with native kind of methods and browser APIs. Um, uh, and um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're kind of moving in that direction. I think it won't, it won't happen for a while. Um, and I think just like jQuery, you're gonna see these tools stick around even after they're gone. But you know, for instance, um, native web components are a thing. Um, and they have a similar benefit to like React components or Vue components, which is that if they get updated, um, you know, you can push them out to anyone who's using them and those updates kind of carry over. Um, that would be, that would be kind of an awesome thing to see get more traction. Um, uh, similarly, a lot of these things that are kind of third-party components now, I would love to see built more into the platform. So um, things like, as much as I hate carousels, they still get used all the time. So like image sliders or carousels, I would love a native component for that. Um, uh, you know, same thing for like toggle tabs and um, pop-up windows. And we already have the dialogue element for modal windows, but it is horrifically and inaccessibly implemented in pretty much every browser. So it probably needs to just go away and be rebuilt uh, as a different thing. Um, but I liken it to um, things like the details and summary elements, which you can use to make really simple disclosure components that hide and show things. Um, and what I love about that component in particular, um, it's built into the platform, it's progressively enhanced. So if a browser doesn't support it, and at this point that's basically just IE, um, the content in it is still accessible. It can be styled with CSS. It even exposes a custom JavaScript event you can hook into to like do additional stuff with it. And for me, I think that's the real future of the web. I'd love to see us take these things that React is showing us and Vue or showing us we can do and bake those into the platform. Yeah, that's a really interesting take actually. And, and something that I 100% share, uh, the whole jQuery conversation is fascinating because the last however many guests, like four or five guests, I wanna say, have all come back to that same kind of argument. And it's so true. Like we all learned through jQuery and everything that's in the modern web, not everything, sorry, that's that's a ridiculous statement, but, but a lot, a lot, like there's a significant amount in modern JavaScript can be associated to a jQuery, the jQuery side. And, and I honestly, I see that same path with modern frameworks, like that is going to happen. I have no doubt. Same with, same with something like TypeScript. I think that's going to kind of make its way into the browser as well. But that's, that's a separate conversation. That's not really a front end or anything like that. Um, but it's, it's an interesting take as well on the accessibility side with elements. The carousel element really stood out to me that you said, like how that's not being like, there's already an article, there's already, you know, headers and all that in HTML. Why the carousel or the slider 
hasn't been implemented is beyond me because that is a that is an accessibility concern, right? Because if it's not on the screen, it's not displayed. No one knows that there is even a slider there. So it, no one knows the information there, the accessibility side, I mean. So it's weird that we, like, does web, do web components allow you to bring in that kind of stuff on the accessibility side? Because I know you can create custom components now, right? On the HTML. Yes. Are they accessible? Yeah. So, and, and I'll be, I'll be fair. I don't, um, I haven't spent a lot of time working with web components, so I am not necessarily the best person to speak to this, but from playing around with them a little, they allow you to create custom components, not unlike the way a custom React component would work. Um, the, the big difference between them and say just um, like, so you know how in HTML you can name an element, like you can use elements that don't exist and the browser's just like, oh, okay, that's kind of like a div and then keeps <laughs> rolling with it and you can target, like I could create a chicken element yep. and call it chicken with opening and closing chicken bracket uh, tags and put some content in there, style it with CSS, hook into it with JavaScript. So where web components are a little different is they're encapsulated. So you can kind of have them pre-styled with shadow DOM, not unlike the way um, uh like native elements have some baked in styling to them. Um, and they can come pre-bundled with some interactivity, kind of like how details and summary work. Um, and uh, so they allow you to do things, like if you're using a um, kind of a, a JavaScript-based build flow, you can import them and um, then kind of inject them into your HTML the same way you would with React or Vue. Um, which means that if down the road you kind of, you change something or fix something as the person who maintains a component, the next time someone goes to like import and render that component, they get the update automatically depending on how they had this, this thing set up, but it's not dissimilar to how this would work with React or Vue. Um, and so, um, I think that's a great kind of, um, transitional thing. What I don't love about them is the kind of the JavaScript dependence. And admittedly, some of these have interactivity. And so like JavaScript is going to be needed regardless. But what I really love about native HTML elements that have the interactivity baked in already is that you don't need to do that whole like import and render kind of step. Like if I wanted to write just raw HTML, I can still use those elements without having to do anything special um, or those components. Um, but yeah, native web components are pretty cool. Um, and I think they work really well with, um, like, for example, if you were building a, um, like a design system, uh, you know, for use at your company or something like that, and you have different departments, some of whom use Angular, some of whom use React, some of whom use you, um, some, some who just kind of hard code it or use PHP or whatever. It's a really nice way to kind of provide shared components that can work within any ecosystem. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I think those are pretty neat. I don't necessarily think they're the ultimate end solution that I'd love to see us end up at, but I think they're a really nice transitional kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think I think there are, they are gonna be built upon a little bit because it's just kind of like a first pass. Yeah, uh, oh, but for I, sure. I am excited to see where where they go. But with that, let's shift a little bit because uh, not only do you talk about like vanilla JavaScript, but you also teach vanilla JavaScript. And I just kind of wanted to get your perspective on this as well. Um, we have a lot, a lot of our audience is junior developers, developers that are just starting out even before they actually code. So 
I'm just wondering, what's your advice? Like, what's the path that they should take? Uh, obviously, you don't have to teach them on this podcast, but in a short, oh, yeah. you know, your, your shortened path, like where should they go? Should they learn HTML, CSS first? Should they go to JavaScript? Like, how do you, what's your mindset on that? Yeah. And so this is a little tough for me because when I learned, um, the web was a very different place than it is now. Um, but like for, for better and for worse. Um, so it was a lot simpler. Frameworks weren't as big of a deal, but um, HTML and CSS got a lot less respect back then than they do now. Um, at least like they were seen just more as like, oh, that's like a designery thing. Um, whereas now I think you're seeing a lot more like I only know HTML and CSS like being treated a little bit more um, uh, like specialties in their own right, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, but so uh, for me or to me, I think um, like so many things, it depends. It depends on what you find interesting and exciting, what you find easiest to learn. Um, I will say, I think if you are a JavaScript developer, knowing HTML and CSS, at least um, at a foundational level, is going to make you a better JavaScript developer. Um, I don't necessarily know that the same is true for HTML and CSS developers. So if that's your focus, knowing JavaScript is nice, but I don't think it's going to hinder your ability to like author good HTML and CSS if you don't know it. But I see many, many, many JavaScript-based things that um, either don't need to exist because there's HTML or CSS that does the same thing better or could be done more elegantly if you know the kind of the built-out solution also included some just native HTML and CSS in it. Um, for example, things like uh, like animations, you know, you sometimes see these like, oh, I built out this whole complex JavaScript based animation thing. It's like, well, you know, two lines of CSS would have done that same thing with a lot more like simplicity, fault tolerance, and really kind of like smoothness in the browser than, than what was built. Um, uh, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. I have a tendency to do that. Um, so I would say if if one of those or the other is more exciting to you, go for it. At the end of the day, I think when you're new and you're learning, uh, learner inertia is so much more important than picking the right thing. Um, I see early career developers get really hung up on picking the right tech stack to learn or picking the right thing to focus on. And I totally understand because I was there. Like, you don't want to make the wrong choice and invest a bunch of time and then like not be able to get a job. So I totally get the anxiety there. Um, but um, what I am finding is um, if you, um, you know, like if you want to go get a job in JavaScript, you can do it. If you want to go find a job where you're working mostly with HTML and CSS, there's a lot more opportunities for that now than there were before. You may need to learn some sort of server side language to tie that stuff in, or you may need to kind of do a little bit of UX work too, which can be fun in its own right. Um, but there are a lot more kind of opportunities than there were before. Um, and what I hate to see happen is developers feel like they have to jump right in, learn, react, because that's what everybody in the industry is doing. And then they get overwhelmed by the docs and they give up and they never go any further because it feels too hard. Or conversely, they try to learn vanilla JavaScript because they've been told you need to learn the fundamentals first. And I'll be honest, the documentation on native web JavaScript is not that great. That's a big part of the reason why I do what I do. Um, uh, I created the vanilla JS toolkit to document a lot of the stuff I was using over and over again that I kept Googling because like um, it was, 
it was just getting to be a total pain to have to keep looking this stuff up. Um, and, uh, you know, I've seen people try to go down that path and get like discouraged and give up too. And so if you find React easier to learn than vanilla JavaScript, do it. You can always back into the native stuff. I'd much rather you go from like, I have no idea what I'm doing to like, oh crap, I built this cool interactive thing and I'm really excited by that than spending weeks banging your head against a desk, unable to figure out why you can't do this really basic thing you're trying to do. Um, even though I think React or jQuery is kind of obsolete, I love hearing about people who like learned through jQuery and then backed into something else or transitioned to another tool. Like, that's great, do it. Um, uh, I think this stuff matters more when you start like working on big projects and shipping code to large numbers of users. But when you're first learning, the tooling doesn't matter as much as being able to keep that momentum up and like feel like you're gaining progress every day because otherwise you're going to get discouraged and quit. Um, so the kind of the, to bring this home, I don't think it matters. Um, uh, whether you start with HTML and CSS or jump into JavaScript, whether you learn a library or just stick with the fundamentals, whatever is going to get you moving and building things that actually work in a browser quicker um, is the best choice for you. Um, because that, that momentum is so important when you're early on. When do you think people should jump into projects? So to, just as a personal sort of example, so I've been, mm. um, I'm just starting to learn Svelte. I don't really know any JavaScript frameworks. I'm kind of like the business guy now <laughs> as the last couple of years. So I'm trying to like, you know, refresh myself on like a lot of coding stuff. And so Mike was like, you know what, jump into Svelte. And I'm just kind of building like an, my own little game to like, you know, nice. learn how to store numbers, do this and that, whatever. And yeah. Uh, Mike was saying to me, you know, one of the things, cause like I've, you know, for months been like, I should learn a framework. I should learn a framework. I should refresh myself. And I just never did it. And, and Mike made a good point in saying that, Hey, you know, you should just be motivated to do something. So think of something you want to make. It doesn't have to be, you know, marketable. It doesn't have to be sellable. Cause this like idea isn't sellable, I would say, but just, you want to make this little, you know, numbers game, you know, go ahead and do that. And then from my needs that arise, um, as I go, I'm learning a bunch of stuff. Whereas before I got hung up on, so for example, I would get hung up on, okay, I have to learn promises like in JS, I have to learn promises. Now I have to learn, you know, this is obviously way out of order, but I have to learn like functions, you know, what's a let, what's a var, what's this, right? And so people, I think get bogged down in the um, textbook, I suppose, fundamentals. Whereas if you just jump in and you're like, I want this number to count up, how do I do that? you might find the quote unquote wrong or the inefficient way to do it, but you've now done it. And then Mike, Mike was saying to me, cause we had a pretty lengthy conversation off air. And he was saying like, you might do it the worst possible way, but it works. Who cares? It works. And then you'll be Googling something else for like, how do I get this graphic to render or something? And you'll notice the the person is completely changed or they're, they're going through a number two to show you something and they're doing it completely different. And you might be like, Hey, what the hell? What's this? And then you learn that. So like, what's your take on when to jump to a project? Do you start with a project? Do you just do that textbook learning? Is it a mix? Like, what do you think? Yeah. Um, everything you just said, by the way, um, really hits so strongly with how I learned. Um, so I've found for my students anyways, some of them um, really kind of prefer that textbook learning. Like they like to understand kind of the, the underlying mechanisms first before they go to use it. Um, I have other students who are a little bit more like me and they prefer kind of 
throw me a project and I'll backfill my way into like the things I need to know to make it work. Um, and I think this is another one of those, like, it depends on what is um, just kind of your preferred learning style and all that. That said, um, I, I have found that even for folks who prefer the textbook stuff, implementing that stuff in a real project is where you really lock those concepts that you're learning in. And so whether you prefer to learn them first or back into them just kind of organically, um, getting yourself into a real project as quickly as possible is super, super important for making these concepts like tangible and stick. Um, and where I found most students get themselves in trouble, most people who are kind of learning um, with projects is by trying to like do something too big too soon. Um, so I have a website, vanillajsprojects.com that has a list of um, starter to intermediate projects with um, like templates to get you started. Um, so if anybody's looking for ideas, because I've seen people who go from like, I want to learn programming. I'm going to build a to-do app. Um, or I'm going to build a calculator, which is way harder than it sounds like it should be, by the way. Like cal calculator seems like it should be the easiest thing to do. And it is so freaking hard. Um, but um you know, they'll try to tackle these bigger apps and then they get hung up on like, okay, now if I'm doing a to-do app, I need a database to store this data in. And then they're like, I don't know how to do any of this. And um, it's really cool to get there, but starting with something really, really small, like a, a, a real easy go-to, I shouldn't say easy because it took me like a week and a half to do this the first time I did it at least. And um, like a lot of really intense Googling, but like a show and hide script or an accordion script where someone clicks a link or they click a button and you show some stuff and then they click it again and you hide some stuff. Like start there because that'll introduce you to a whole ton of dumb manipulation topic, uh, idea, uh, concepts. And, um, you know, if you dig deep enough, you'll get into accessibility concepts. And along the way, you'll learn about event listeners and functions and variables and all of those fundamentals that, um, you know, you could read that wouldn't necessarily stick otherwise. And you kind of go from there. Um, so yeah, I think projects are critically, critically important at making these things stick and making them tangible. Um, but I think the big mistake you can make with them is trying to bite off too big of a project too soon. Um, and along those same lines, a lot of folks really, I found get stuck on like how to get started. One of the best things I ever started doing, and I still do even when I'm working on bigger projects, is I plan my code on paper. And I don't mean that in the sense that like I write out like function name, like, like literally handwrite my code um, so much as like using that accordion example, I will draw a block of text or like a box with an X through it to represent the text and then like another box to represent a button. And then I'll write out like step one, detect when someone clicks button. Step two, um, you know, uh, show the text and then I'll have some bullets below that, like how I'm thinking about how that might work. And then that gives me kind of a framework with which to start searching for things on DuckDuckGo to figure out like how to actually do those things with my code. Um, you're, you're almost like creating a kind of a to-do list of stuff you need to figure out. You know, the scale of that actually makes a lot of sense to me, too, because I remember years and years ago when I was uh, I was trying to learn how to make or use an API, I should say. And I was like, you know what, I'll I haven't used an API yet. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try that. And 
I remember I got in and I was like, you know what? I'll do a a movie management app, like a collection app. Like, oh, you know, you can click this and oh, I have these Blu-rays, you know, check, 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 whatever. And I remember I went to one of the one of the APIs and I was just a front end uh, dev and just getting started too <laughs> back then too. And I was like, okay, I'll like, I'll do this. And I like got the information. Like I like struggled and I got the information, but then I realized they, the API was like, we would prefer if you didn't keep hitting, you know, the API, we would prefer if you download all this and put it into your own database and then just update it once a day or whatever their conditions were. And I was like, Oh, Oh, here we go. <laughs> and then like coming from an IT background, I knew what that meant, you know, database, this and that and all over, but I don't know how to like, I know how to configure it and set it up, but I don't know how to like use it at that point. And then, and, I, and then that whole idea just <laughs> fell apart. Cause I, you don't realize yeah. that you're overstepping quote unquote, your job at that point. Right. Yep. Yeah. I am um, for me, even now, anytime I see like something database related, um, you know, or even like command line stuff um, just really throws me for a loop. Like you go to look at an API and all the examples are in curl. Um, I, even as a senior developer, like I've gotten better at it, but like, I still sometimes I'm like, okay, how do I, with these headers now, how do I translate that into JavaScript again? And like, it's just really like, like good docs are important too. Um, I feel like this is a thing like we as an industry could do a better job of doing for the people who are coming after us, um, writing better documentation. And and that and that actually pays dividends. The documentation note too, because uh, Mike Michael remember this. And in college, uh, we had to do uh, like a final project. It was called the TR project because we had to write a big technical report. That was the TR, and um, basically we had to like design a circuit, do all this stuff, and we had to basically design a circuit, have software on the on the circuit via like an embedded thing and whatever. We're not going to get into the whole thing, but my project also plugged into a computer and output the data from my electronic device, which was a Lux meter, which reads light. Um, and it like pushed it onto the computer. And then MATLAB, which is another piece of software would like print a graph out. And I've, we use MATLAB to like add numbers and like do advanced calculations, but like the scripts were usually given to us or they were hinted at heavily, or we just filled in the blank with our numbers, but the scripts were given to us. And I just sat down one day and just built out the whole script but how I did it was I took my very, very, very rudimentary knowledge and I put I like every time I hit a block, I was like, OK, I need like a graph. What does that mean? Go to the documentation and the MATLAB documentation, at least at that time, uh, it might still be was really good. And when I showed the teacher, he's like, how did you even like do this? You guys have like no MATLAB experience. And I was like, I thought it was easy because the documentation, you know, I didn't find it impressive. And he thought like, this is crazy because you guys haven't been taught any of this. But the documentation is what did it for me. Like, I didn't really do it. <laughs> like the documentation told me what to do. And I filled in the blanks. The documentation really is if it's if your documentation is confusing now it's confusing and you've confused everyone, even if they're advanced, like you're saying senior developer. Now you're confused too. Right. For sure. Um, I, I also just selfishly, like I write documentation for myself um, because I, if I don't look at my code for a year and then I come back to it, I'm going to forget how it works. Um, even like three or four months. Um, and so a lot of, my obsessive documentation is, is just purely selfish. Like I want to remember how to work with this thing when I come back to it after a while. Um, so yeah, it's a good habit to get into. Yeah. This, this has given me a little bit of like a trauma right now because I'm in, <laughs> I'm in, I'm in the middle of learning this new web three uh, 
blockchain stuff for for one of our clients and I'm I'm going into it and the documentation there is not only kind of really bad, like really really bad, it's also half deprecated without being deprecated, like they didn't say it's deprecated and I can't yeah, it's <laughs> it's a little bit of trauma going on right now in my head, but that's fine and like I fully agree with that statement of inertia as well. I just want to bring it all the way back to to that like Whatever can keep your inertia for learning is the most important thing. You're 100% like we, we can say all we want like you should learn the pillars, you should you should learn the like the the, the fundamentals. If that's not going to keep you going then don't like just learn what what is going to keep you going because it's so difficult to sit down every day and learn something new constantly and get into roadblocks because that's what development is. It's just roadblock after roadblock and figuring out those roadblocks. And if you can't get through that, then, you know, like you, you need to try something different or something like that. Like you, maybe you need to stop learning the fundamentals and learn something else. So I really appreciate that kind of mindset and that view for our audience, I think is going to be really key. But with yeah. that, um, where do you see the future of web development? Like, I, I know we, we said, like, maybe something like a, a React is going to get built in. But is there anything else that you see happening in web development that's going to be there on the horizon? Yeah. yeah so we, we move in cycles, right? So the thing I'm seeing right now um, that is it's both good and really frustrating is um, uh, we're in kind of our next wave of reinventing PHP. This seems to happen every like <laughs> every few years. So um, you know, you're seeing a lot of announcements from previously um, like browser-based tooling um, that now allows you to run run that on the server in real time. So kind of like on-demand server-generated HTML from from JavaScript, but not like, not just node stuff. Like, you know, um, there was a big thing like six months ago, I think with React where like um, they have kind of this whole new like real-time server thing. And uh, and I remember like looking at it and being like, oh yeah, that's that's PHP. That's basically <laughs> PHP, but in JavaScript, um, which is not a bad thing, but it's just really funny how this, this keeps happening. Um, my buddy, Zach Leatherman, who built Eleventy, the server side uh, or the static site generator rather, um, he's been working on something similar for 11T and he keeps joking about how he made fun of people for years for reinventing PHP and then like did it himself. Um, and uh, um, just the other day I saw, I'm totally drawing a blank on the name of it. I'll have to dig it up for the show notes, but there's some new tool that um, basically allows you to do that same thing, but with any client side framework. Um, and so that's kind of, uh, Kind of where I see things going right now, where there's this pendulum swing back to server rendered, which is a good thing. I'm making fun of it, but it's also a good thing because server rendering is oftentimes preferable to client side rendering because it provides you with more control and more predictability and um, a much lower likelihood that something is going to fail for the user who's trying to visit your thing. Um, and if we can come up with more ways to do that in the languages and approaches that people are comfortable with, then um, as much as I like to poke fun of us just reinventing PHP over and over again, I still think that's a good thing. Yeah, I 
it's it's funny that it's inevitable essentially the cycle continues i bet you like five years down the line everything will be back to client-side rendering again and then another five years it'll go back to server-side rendering but it makes total sense like server-side rendering is way better for the clients that that's 100 percent. and i mean if you have to do a ton of calculations and manipulations on the client side then maybe there's a different architectural thing that you can think of but regardless I, i i see your point uh, that's a really interesting thought about the server side rendering. Didn't didn't think of that before. Um, I think I think that's it though. Like uh, Matt, do you have any other tidbits? Uh, no, no more MATLAB stories over here. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think let's let's turn it over to Chris. Uh, you know, take the floor. Say what you're up to. What you're doing. Any any sort of links you want to share. Everything. Again, they'll all be in the show notes after as well. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, um, if you, um, if you found my, my ramblings, um, my old man yells at the cloud, interesting, (laughs) um, five days a week, I publish a, um, uh, I send out a, a, an email with code snippets, tools, techniques, and interesting stuff from around the web. It's always really short, uh, comes out Monday through Friday. You can sign up for that at gomakethings.com. Um, you can also find my, my, email address and social media accounts. If you want to like email me to say what's up or yell at me for getting something terribly wrong in this podcast. <laughs> um, but all that lives at go make things.com. Uh, it's probably the easiest way to find me on the internet. Perfect. Thanks a lot for that. And uh, I'm sure we'll reach back out to you with any of our other questions as they go. And obviously the, if the audience wants to ask you a question, they can find you on Twitter. I'll have your Twitter in the show notes as well. And Excellent. uh yeah, that, I think that's it. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, I'm glad we were able to make it happen. And I think we got a lot out of it. Yeah, Matt, Mike, thanks so much for having me. I'm sorry. I know I get a little rambly at times, but I had a really great time, uh, really great time chatting with you both. Thanks, Chris. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that call with Chris as much as we did. Lots of great insight in there. Lots of great tips, tricks, and different little, I would almost say like little niche conversations, which are important to touch on in podcasts such as these. So that's great to get into the weeds of it and some about some of the JS trends that are out there. Uh, let us know what you guys think, all, of course, on the social media channels. Now, once again, we are weeks and weeks ahead of time. So we have to figure out, Mike and I have been discussing, we have to figure out a second little mini segment. We used to usually do the weekly growth goals, made an app for it. Mike did, made a web app for it. And now we're so far ahead... <laughs> in our recording journey that like, I don't even know what week we're on, what we're doing or whatever. So for the time being, we just do a little, what are we working on thing? So Mike, what are you working on as of recording this little tidbit piece of audio here? Honestly, I'm working on just uh, expanding our Twitter network. That's been my goal for the past couple, for the past month, maybe even month and a half now. Um, obviously it's not the only thing I do, but it's, it is like a big part of my day now trying to figure it out because it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of trying different things, failing hardcore at a bunch of different stuff. So it's an interesting world Twitter. I really, I'm really liking it to be honest. Uh, I, I love all the people that I've met on there and we have a really good network going. So I'm happy about that. And the growth has been kind of a little bit exponential now for, for, for the account. So if you haven't followed us already it's at html everything on twitter again a shout out to that and a shout out to the whole web development community out there there you go and uh i'm working on 
organizing this podcast. <laughs> we are uh, so we have an interesting setup. So we actually uh, we record the intro outro to uh, calls to interviews that we have with people separately. So like we did this interview a while ago, and now we're recording now, and like we're all over the place. Like I said, so um, I'm I'm actually working on uh, I'm working on some other like work stuff that I can't necessarily talk about, but. Uh, I'm also working on trying to find a, a good way to manage this podcast, meaning all the files and such, because we are also putting it on our site, obviously, um, even though it's not necessarily public at the moment, we are putting it on our site because when it come, when the site comes out, then there'll be a bunch of content on there. So I'm trying to like practice all the stuff that I would naturally do in a week for a release. And I am all over the damn place. So I'm trying to nail down that procedure. You know, hey, this is an interview episode. We record this on a different day than this. Hey, this is a this episode. We got to do this. So it's a whole it's a whole procedure. So I'm trying to just nail down that procedure. And it'll obviously, like everything else, get better and better as time goes on. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Unless Mike has anything else to add, we're going to run the old conclusion here. Runner up. Alrighty, well, remember where we are on Patreon if you want to support episodes like this. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out those tiers. Give that a go. Like these people, our $3 tier patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on LocalPathComputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer on SelfMadeWebDesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on TheWebHacker.com. DL Ford from DLFord.io. Bib Hashdash from NineBlockMedia on NineBlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com. And Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca as well as Magnus from yesweb.se. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.